Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, church family. It is good to see you. It is good to be with you. If you're new with us, my name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's my privilege week by week to open up God's Word with you as we learn from from Him together. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, we're starting a section now where we're going to look together at the Sermon on the Mount. So how would you feel if I told you that this fall you're, you're going to hear the greatest preaching of all time? Well, you will, not from me, but from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is only 2,326 words long. You can read the whole thing in about 10 minutes. And I encourage you really to do that this afternoon. Go home this afternoon, pour yourself a cup of coffee, uh, maybe pull out a pen and read your way through the entire Sermon on, on the Mount. If Jesus were our guest preacher this morning... He would preach the whole Sermon on the Mount in about the amount of time that I'm going to speak for today. It's an interesting thought, though, isn't it? If Jesus were our guest preacher, um, imagine what that would be like. And if he were, let me ask you this. um, What do you think he'd talk about? If Jesus were our guest preacher this morning, what what would his text be? What would his his message be? Uh, One theologian, Tim Mackey, whose voice you heard on the video a few moments ago, suggests that our answer to this question is important because it tells us not so much about Jesus, but really more about ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, the question is interesting, what might Jesus talk about? But what's more interesting is, is how we answer that question, because it tells us about what we think Jesus was all about. What would be the main thing he would have to say to his people today? What do you think his his essential message was? Well, we see Matthew's answer in verse 23 of the scripture that was just read for us. Do you see it there? Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. So we've got to the public phase of Jesus's ministry. He is on a speaking tour going from place to place. And how does Matthew summarize what his message was all about? He went throughout all Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. According to Matthew, the summary of Jesus' message as he went from place to place to place was that Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And no doubt if he was in Knoxville, preaching from place to place to place, he would have proclaimed the same message now that he did then. Now, I'm guessing that's not necessarily the answer most of us would think of. That's not necessarily the answer that we would give to, you know, how do you summarize Jesus's message? And yet this kingdom answer isn't just Matthew's answer. It's the thing that Jesus speaks about most often. You know, this word kingdom appears 55 times in Matthew's gospel alone. And there are only 28 chapters in in Matthew. So roughly on average, like twice every chapter, we find Jesus talking about The kingdom, the kingdom is a central theme, which raises the question, doesn't it? Well, what is the good news of the kingdom? (laughs) What is the gospel of the kingdom? The simplest answer is that the king has come. 
The king has come. Jesus has come bringing redemption for his people, delivering us from our our slavery to sin, offering us forgiveness full and free. But not only has he brought redemption, he is also now doing a work of restoration. Our lives are now different because of all that Jesus has, has done for us. We are now under his rule, under his reign. Life is so different that it can now be described as, uh, we can now be described as, as citizens of a new kingdom. Well, what does this kind of Christian life, this kind of kingdom life look like? Enter the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great, grand, glorious elaboration of what the Christian life, what kingdom life can look like. And we're going to spend the rest of 2021 studying it together. And today we start with the the introduction to the sermon that we get in verses 1 through 16. So let's give give our attention, let's give our hearts affection to, to God's word. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the fact that you're a God who wants to communicate with us and who has spoken to us clearly in the Bible. And so as we spend a few moments looking at it together just now, Lord, I I pray that that you would be at work and that you would be our teacher and that we might understand from this passage more of your love for us and its implications for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like all good sermons, the Sermon on the Mount has an introduction, a body, and then a conclusion, three sections to it. And we just read the introduction, the way that Jesus has decided to start this great sermon on the Mount. 
Now, it's a fascinating introduction, and we really could go through it line by line. We could do an entire series on, on, on the Beatitudes, and, and maybe one day together uh, we will. But today, I want to pull back and view it more from the literary perspective in its, its placement as the introduction to this sermon. And I want to see how this introduction helps us understand all the rest of the sermon that is, that is to follow. This introduction lays out some ideas that are going to help us not just today, but as we study the rest of this sermon together. So today, three observations about life in the kingdom. Three observations about following Jesus that come to us from this text. Number one, life in the kingdom, following Jesus. You know, um, it's not always what we expect, When you sign up to follow Jesus, when you say that you're going to follow Jesus, the life that you then lead might not be the life that you would expect to lead when when following this Savior called Christ. We get a sense of this from the very opening lines where Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with a series of um, kind of nonsensical statements. These Beatitudes don't immediately make a lot of sense to our ears. And it's important to know that they wouldn't have immediately made much sense to the the, the ears of those who first heard them either. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What? What is Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the the merciful or the pure in heart or, or the peacemakers. Or how about the last one? Blessed are the persecuted. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of that, but it doesn't sound like blessing. And it certainly doesn't sound like fun. And yet here, Jesus says, that's how life in my kingdom works. Yeah, you might think that blessed are the self-sufficient or the strong or the confident or the ambitious or those with a killer instinct or those who are independent or those who are right. And rather than those who are persecuted, how about those who are popular? Yeah, that's how, how you might think blessing comes, but that's not how life in my kingdom works. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, life isn't going to be what you might expect. If you're going to follow me, life might not be what the world expects either. Why? Why is this an upside down kingdom? Mainly because life in the kingdom looks like our king. His teaching isn't what we expect, but surely our savior isn't what we expect either. A savior who overcomes hate with love. A savior who will bring life through his own death. A savior who doesn't do things the way that we might imagine. And don't you just love worship with me for a moment as we consider how like the Beatitudes actually give us a portrait of Jesus himself. They're a self-portrait to us from Jesus. Don't they make him seem beautiful though? Like blessed are the poor in spirit, says the one who was rich yet for our sakes became poor. Blessed are those who mourn, says the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. Blessed are the meek, says the one who humbled himself even to death on a cross. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, says the one whose food was to do the will of his father who'd sent him. Blessed are the merciful, says the one who came not for righteous, but for the sinners. Blessed are the pure in heart, says the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, said the one who reconciled the world to himself. And blessed are the persecuted, says the one who was pierced for our transgressions. The king is not what we expect. And so life in his kingdom is not what we expect either. The way of the king is the way of the kingdom. And friends, I encourage us to remember that as we work our way through this series together. Why? Because Jesus is going to talk about all sorts of things. He's going to talk about our anger and he's going to talk about how we use our bodies and he's going to talk about our relationships and our marriages and our enemies and our money and all kinds of other things. And very often you and I aren't going to like what he has to say. Very often we'll find his teaching to be challenging or thought provoking or uncomfortable or offensive. Sometimes it will challenge us. Sometimes it will challenge the culture that we live in. Sometimes it will challenge, challenge both. And so we want to remember to humble ourselves that his ways aren't our ways. That sometimes he doesn't say things that maybe we didn't expect. We want to humble ourselves before his word. That as a people, we don't force our way of thinking onto him. We allow his way of thinking to shape us. Even when it's not what we expect. So that's the first thing we see from this great sermon introduction. Life in the kingdom, the Christian life, it isn't always what we expect. But make no mistake Observation number two, while it might not be what we expect, life in the kingdom still brings great blessing to us. Following Jesus brings great blessing to us. Yes, following Jesus might be challenging. It might be thought-provoking. It might be uncomfortable. It might be offensive. But don't miss the clear overarching point of this text, which is that blessing is found in this kind of life. Don't confuse something that is hard with something that will do you no good. No, sometimes things that are hard usher in great blessing. And that's the main point that Jesus is trying to make. How do verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 all begin? They all begin with this word, blessed. Jesus is is here not with a word of condemnation, but with a word of of benediction, a word of, of, of blessing. The things he is communicating to us are for our own good. He is here to bring blessing. And don't you love, it's not the shallow, superficial, stupid kind of blessing that you hear about in the health and wealth prosperity gospel. You know that form of teaching that would say, well, if you follow Jesus, you'll, you'll have your, your best life now. You'll have your blessed life now. And we're going to interpret that as meaning you are going to have financial security and six-pack abs. And we say, do you know, only, (laughs) that's a heresy that only Western individualistic rich Christians could have made up. Like you go to the church globally and say, hey, following Jesus means you're going to have financial security. They will they will rightly laugh at the notion. It's the kind of heresy that only we would make up. And and the problem with it is, according to Jesus, it's nowhere near good enough. 
That's, that's the problem with the prosperity gospel, is that it makes the blessing shallow and superficial instead of deep, meaningful, and eternal. And that's the kind of blessing that Jesus holds out for us here. Don't you love how he attaches a promise to each characteristic? So he says, yes, live this way and the kingdom will be yours. Live this way and you'll be comforted. Live this way and you'll inherit the earth. Live this way and you'll be satisfied. Live this way, you'll receive mercy. Live this way and you'll, and you'll, you'll see God. You'll be called sons of God. The kingdom of heaven will be yours. I love that Jesus is the king who doesn't rule his kingdom with an iron fist. Live this way because I said so. Instead, he, see how he's calling us? He's wooing us to see the superiority of life in him. That the best life you can possibly live is life in his kingdom. Don't settle for health and wealth. Seek the deep blessings that are found in him. And again, let's remember this as we work our way through this series. Let's use the, the promises he holds out as motivation to live the kind of life that he, he is calling us to. Because that's why Jesus gives us these things. This, this promise is designed to, to compel us to, to live as, as he has called. And so use that, that promise that your own joy is served by life in the kingdom as, as a weapon against sin in the weeks ahead. Yes, lust has an immediate appeal to it, but... Pursue him, pursue the kind of life that he has designed. And the scriptures say, you'll be satisfied. You'll be filled. Your own joy will be served by life in the kingdom. Yes, a relationship you're in might be, it might be maddening. But Jesus says, be merciful, be a peacemaker, and you'll receive mercy and you'll be as content as, as a son of God, a, a child in the arms of God. Yes, following Jesus might result in persecution. You know, if you follow Jesus, if, not if you follow kind of just Western Christianity, but if you follow Jesus as he's presented to us in the Bible, people will think you're weird. And some people will think you're a bigot, and some people will think you're, you're worse. And, and yet what will happen? You can rejoice and be glad because your reward will be great in heaven. We're not living our lives for the superficial things of today. We're living our lives for the eternal rewards that are to come. Our own joy is served by following Jesus. There is great blessing in living the life that he calls us to. And let's remember that as we come up against hard passages in the weeks ahead. Okay, third, finally, life in the kingdom. Not what we expect, blesses us. And lastly, of course, life in the kingdom brings great blessing to others. We know the church doesn't exist only for itself. The church has always existed, yes, for, for those who are in it, but also for those who are outside of its walls. And so after blessing us, Jesus immediately sends us to be a blessing to others. Look at verses 13 through 16. 
Jesus uses two illustrations. You'll be familiar with them if you've been around the church. First of all, he says, you are the the salt of the earth. Next, he says, you are the the light of the world. I'm blessing you not just for your own sake, but that you might be something for the sake of others, namely salt and light. See, Jesus assumes that our world is in need of of a redeeming presence. Jesus is he's not confused by the fact that culture can be a mess, and he's never confused by the fact that people who don't know him don't follow his commands. He, he assumes that this world is in need of, of a redeeming presence. He assumes it is decaying, like meat that's gone bad. He assumes it is dark, that people have, have lost their way. Now, of course, he is the Redeemer. He is the King who has come to set us free from our sins. But look at what he says. Yeah, the world's in need of a redeeming presence. I'm the Redeemer, but you're the presence. My body in this world, the church, you're to go and be the salt of the earth. You're to live your life in such a way that you prevent decay and add flavor to this world. And you are the, the light of the world. Live in such a way that your, your life brings hope to others, that you, you guide them on the way. Finishes this idea up in verses 15 and 16, telling us that our lives matter. We're not to hide our lives away under a bushel, be some kind of holy huddle that exists only for, for ourselves, cut off from the outside world. Instead, verse 16, we're to live this kingdom life openly. We're to follow Jesus openly so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Be my presence in this world. Be blessed that you might be a blessing. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people when, when you come into the room? You know, we all know people that when they come into the room, your heart kind of smiles. There's, there's a rise in your heart and there's a, a joy in your heart because they, they, they have, they're just life-giving. And then we all know some other people, right? Some other people who when they come in, there's a sigh in our hearts because why? They kind of bring a bit of darkness and a bit of decay and there's something life-taking from, from these people. Well, thought experiment with me. Christian, um, be in the room with me when you come into the room. <laughs> what, what happens? Because the Bible would say, Christians, be the ones who bring salt and light. Be the ones who, when, when you walk into the room, you, you, you bring some Jesus with you. You have a life-giving impact wherever it is that, that you go. That Blessed by him, we start to become a blessing to others. So when you walk into your classroom, the king and the kingdom are now there. When, when you walk into your office, the king and the kingdom are, are now there. When you walk into your gym or your kid's bedroom or wherever it is that that you go, when, when you arrive, you take Jesus with you. You take the king and his kingdom with you. You live in that place as salt and light. As one who's been blessed, you start to become a blessing to others. Is, is that how people describe us? 
And what about for our church? What happens in the room when, when our church enters? <laughs> what happens in the room when the name of, of Cedar Springs comes up in, in Knoxville <laughs> and amongst, amongst the nations? We have life-giving presence. Do, do we bring a, a smile to, to the heart as, as the very presence of Christ would to this city, to this nation? We consider these things. We ask ourselves these questions. Are we taking the blessings we've been given freely by grace and using them to be a blessing to others? This week, just ask, who in your life needs you to be a little salt, a little light? Where can you go to bring his kingdom life? Okay, Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom life, not what we expect, but it blesses us and through us can bless others. The best sermon ever. Not this one, but this one. So next week, invite a friend to come and hear the best preaching in the history of the world. <laughs> Father in heaven, we are grateful for, for your word and grateful for Jesus, uh, the greatest preacher who ever lived. Uh, we thank you for, for teaching us from this passage that, Lord, with Jesus, we don't always get what we might expect. And that's helpful, Lord, because honestly, there are things in your word that we find difficult or things that we find uncomfortable. And, and you've, you've warned us that that's the way it will be. <laughs> but more than that, Lord, not only is it not what we'd expect, you also give us the encouragement, the promise that, that life in the kingdom following Jesus will bring great blessing to us. That, that the way of the king is, is how we were designed to live and that we'll flourish, Lord, when we follow him. And not just will we flourish, Lord, but we'll be a blessing to others as well. And Lord, we want to be that. We want our presence to bring salt and light. We want our presence to bring uh, the presence of Christ. So Lord, would we be a people who take our blessings and be a blessing to, to others? Uh, we pray all these things in the happy name of Jesus. Amen.